thanks for joining us. We are the Center for Leadership and Community Engagement at Central Washington University. I'm Kylie Wright. And I'm Aurelie Reese. Word to the Wildcats is a five-week series designed to provide space for notable CW alumni and the CW educators to share stories of growth, resilience, and leadership with the current Wildcats student body. Through Word to the Wildcats, we hope to share relatable life lessons that current CW students and community members can apply to their personal story. We want to give all of our listeners a heads up that our speaker is going to be sharing her experience of growth, healing, and resilience today through her personal experience with relationship violence. As always, in the Word to the Wildcat, we are hoping to share one Siwu alum's experience, which may or may not be the same as your experience. Regardless, we hope you are able to learn from our speaker as they each share their personal leadership life stories. Today we have Kim Peterson, class of 1992. Kim is a speaker, trainer, and coach with a powerful story of overcoming. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh my gosh, ladies. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Woo woo, class of 92, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was really a, a great conversation that we all had on uh, Thursday last week as we were talking about uh, resiliency and how to build resiliency as a skill for an empowered and confident future. And it was really important to me that I asked you gals and your team what was going to be most impactful or most um, effective for, for your listeners. And so we had a, an open dialogue because honestly, I've had so much crazy adversity in my life that I could be the poster child for for um, resiliency and the ability to come back. And so upon conversation, we, we thought that we would talk about relationship violence as it uh, relates to um, domestic violence uh, for a few reasons, really. And I first, I want to pause and commend you for your bravery, is what I want to say, and your courage to have this conversation just to bring some awareness around the topic, because it's often very taboo. Um, but this is important for a few reasons. Number one, right now, as we are all in this global pandemic, what, what we know to be true and what research shows is that the cases of domestic violence have been exponential since globally there's been, you know, stay at home or shelter in place um, mandates. So it's very relevant. And also because this is, this is a relevant topic for students um, on campus, on college campus. And what we also know to be true is, is this is relevant for, for high schoolers in, in, and even probably middle school who are in intimate relationships. And so we thought we would talk about uh, domestic violence, what that looks like, um, to talk about some resources for sure. And then really importantly is talk about the hope that is there for you if you're experiencing this or if someone you know is experiencing this, the hope that can come from um, building, you know, a practice of, of resiliency so that you can overcome it and, and uh, one day step back into, you know, feeling like your integrated whole healthy self. How would you maintain or build your victor mentality? You know, every day I am building my victor mentality. And I love that you say that because really mindset is everything. 
when I went to college, I, it was it was an exciting time. It was a scary time, just like it is for for all freshmen, I'm sure. But uh, you know, I was excited to be at Central, and the campus was beautiful. Meeting new friends, definitely um, got my party on. <laughs> you know, it, it was a good time, and I. You know, I had my first college boyfriend is really where this this story sort of um, intersects is with this first college boyfriend that I had. And, you know, just like every new, fresh, exciting relationship, it was butterflies in the tummy. It was, you know, uh, oh, you know, feeling smitten and, and just really excited to be in that relationship. One thing that was interesting was is that you know, he was protective of me in a way that I really enjoyed at first because uh, I came from a very dysfunctional home where I didn't have a protective dad, you know, or, and I had a couple of brothers, but they were never really looking after me either. So it was so great to have someone who was like, call me when you get there and call me when you leave. And mm, I wouldn't do that. That's not a good idea. And those sorts of things, it just felt like, oh, wow, I really feel loved is what it was. But as time went on, um, those sorts of directives, if you will, became more encompassing, uh, more controlling, um, you know, and it eventually it got to the point of, you know, don't wear those clothes. Uh, your makeup is too much, it's not enough, your voice, you talk too loud, um, no, you can't see so-and-so, whether those were uh, girlfriends or whether they were uh, just guy friends that, who, were, who were purely just friends. And so nonetheless, over time, that, you know, that sort of manipulation then led into uh, more verbal abuse and eventually led into uh, physical altercations. And that was when I was 19 years old. And so this was a, a college relationship that I had that, that went back and forth for a couple of years. Um, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for me to, to um, disengage from that if you will. And then I'll just share uh, quickly that when I was 26, I got married. And um, what I know to be true is this, ladies, is that our hardships or our troubles or uh, the things that we have, the lessons that we need to learn, they don't just go away. They go with us into the next relationship and the next relationship and the next relationship. And that's what happened is, is I actually um, married an abuser when I was 26 years old. Uh, I had some red flags ahead of time, but we talked to people that we trusted, or at least I, I did. I recommended that we talk to our pastor and it was just labeled as something completely different. Um, and then that relationship was really Definitely a lot of physical. Um, it was domestic violence, by the way. What I, what I want you to know so that you can recognize this for yourself or a friend, or if any listeners are wondering, 
Um, domestic violence looks like um, sexual violence, physical violence, emotional, verbal manipulation, economic and financial uh, abuse and withholding, um, just to name a few. And so in my marriage, I, I really had all of that. But um, let me back up and share this for, for you listeners, even for you, for you ladies. My hope in sharing this is to bring awareness. Um, because if you are like me, I had no idea what domestic violence was. And as a matter of fact, they call it today, what they call it often is called intimate terrorism, because that's really what it is. Um, but I, I share it to, to hopefully help you to, to see what this um, looks like, to be able to identify if this is you, and to eventually throughout this to gain some resources. Um, it's certainly not to put shame on myself or my choices or where I was at or the people who were involved. Um, and I'm grateful that I'm, I'm pretty much healed through it, but that's where you probably hear me pausing and looking for my choice of words because I want to be discerning about that. But when I finally was divorced, I did have to uh, go through criminal hearings, um, once with the judge, once with the judge and jury. Um, I had protection orders. I was homeless for a time, and that's actually when I started uh, my business 20 years ago. And so that is, and it's been 20 years. It, you know, it's been 20 years as I think about this of, of a journey of where I was when I was divorced, I will say. It's longer than that from college, about 30 years. But the journey was 20 years until now. And so here, here we are. So that's a little bit of the, of the backstory. To come full circle to answer your question is how do I build a mindset of victory? That's a daily thing because the, the road to recovery has many different elements. And one of them, one of the most important things is to reframe your mindset and reframe your thinking about who you see yourself as, uh, what you believe, what you believe to be okay and right and acceptable. But what I do still every day, ladies, is I wake up and I read. I read something um, in usually three categories, something that uh, is around um, my spirituality. I'm a Christian. I'm a woman of faith. So I read something there. I read something in terms of personal uh, development, uh, whether that's how to challenge limiting beliefs or goal setting or something around confidence building, all of those things. This is a continued process. And then I also read something about professional development because your mindset, I will say this, ladies, is that what research shows this, brain science shows us that no matter what it is, whatever it is that you believe in your, um, in your, your belief system, your thoughts dictate your behavior. Your thoughts dictate your behavior and your choices. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's really important to, to invest into a growth mindset, developing a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, Kim, your story. Um, how could we support or empower others who may be dealing with similar situation? Yeah, you know, 
that's a hard, it's hard for people to support. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, at least for me and my experience, and I do want to say that to anyone who may be watching or listening, is that we all have a very unique uh, experience. But in my case, in college, I'll tell you that I had my, my um, residence, the, the people in the dorm who are your go-to, they're kind of the ones who make sure you stay out of trouble and if you need some support. Well, she and I are still friends to this day, but she was a support back then. But a lot of people wanted, you know, they didn't want to deal with it. It's too painful or it, it triggers something in themselves or they didn't have the energy. They wanted to, you know, live their own lives. Um, and even as an adult, it was very isolating as well. So how people can really support you, honestly, is to be uh, available to listen. I would say from my experience, I didn't expect anybody to have answers because I didn't even have answers. I didn't even understand what it was until I started to go to domestic violence um, support group. And then I got some education and, I, and it gave me a framework. But just to be a listener, um, just to be available, just to have someone check in and be honest and say, hey, uh, I just wanted to check in on you. How are you doing really? Mm -hmm. Is there anything I can do? To support you. Yeah, and that always goes a long way. That's the biggest thing is support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when you ask that question, it gives you the opportunity to share and disclose as much or as little, but you feel seen and you feel heard in a very, very isolating circumstance. Because that isolation is a big tool for how abusers keep their victims. Um, under their thumb. And that is exactly why this time during the pandemic, when we have all of the shelter in, why it's such a problem, because there's, there's, you're not allowed to leave. So, and you're not distanced by work, or you don't have a break, or the safety of going to talk to a, a DV advocate or something. So, mm -hmm. but that's the biggest thing they can do. And, and by the way, I emailed you all this morning, a guide for friends and family to answer that specific question. It has some great tips in there. Yeah, awesome, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that portion because we can always do our part to support our friends, family, strangers, you know. Um, it's very important to like check in. So um, on that note, so what are some things that you would do for yourself, like to check in with yourself when you were dealing um, with that type of situation? You know, I didn't do a very good job about that, I would say. And I think that's what allowed me to stay in it longer is I wasn't really checking in too often. I found that I, you know, I, I, I really struggled with anxiety, obviously. Well, maybe not obviously, but anxiety and just feeling um, unsafe and with a disease in my mind and in my body. Um so I didn't do a good job of, of that, especially when I was younger, I might have ran to uh, coping mechanisms, drinking a little bit more, just numbing out my pain. Um, but what I started to do after, you know, realizing that I had to just, you know, uh, really take a hard look at this is you know, I had to be honest. And, you know, in, in terms of steps to resiliency, that is, I think I wrote down as my first, yeah, 
Number one, in terms of self-care, do you have to be really honest with yourself about what is going on? At least for me, I made a lot of excuses. I made a lot of, um, uh, because I hoped and I wished that things would be different. I wasn't as honest with the situation as possible. Um, but when you're honest, it allows you to see possibilities and it also allows you to see the realities and the fact that, you know, you need help. You know, and if you have children, right, that's a whole nother dynamic is, is if folks have children, this isn't only something that's affecting the parent or the caregiver, it's affecting the children. And so if a parent has to be honest about the situation, then it's, it's going to force them to think about how this is really hurting or damaging the children as well. So, so kind of disassociating from it and keeping that honesty at bay is something that is, is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. What is your perspective on forgiveness in, during, in and during after these circumstances that happened to you? Well, what you went through. Sure, sure. Forgiveness is huge. Uh, Self-forgiveness uh, and forgiving others who have done wrong to me has been a huge component of becoming healthier and for uh, being in the right mind space to build a productive life in front of me. Um, because without forgiveness, what happens is we can remain in a mentality that is um, poor me, or, you know, this was done to me, or I can never forgive myself. How, how dumb was I to not see it? Um, you know, there's a lot of um, self-shame that can happen. So forgiveness is, is huge. I like to say that it is um, the key to our freedom. You know, uh, I, I did the best with what I knew back then. Thank God I know a lot more now. And from that place, I look at relationships, even with, you know, girlfriends, I have a very different lens with which I can see, but also being able to forgive the people who have done um, these things to me was also very important for a few reasons. One, when we don't forgive, we are keeping our own selves imprisoned no matter what the topic is, you know, we, we're, because we're angry and we get bitter and then, you know, we're consumed, our mindset is consumed with, you know, maybe um, justice or revenge or whatever. And what that does is that stunts your growth in every other aspect in your life and certainly in your career or your creativity. Uh, there's just not mind space to be those things and creative and productive as much. Um, but also there's, to go along with forgiveness is empathy. And what I realized um, in my therapy and in my support group for domestic violence is, you know, this is not something that just comes upon abusers overnight, that they probably, there's a high chance that they were, uh, they grew up in environments where they either experienced it themselves or they saw their caregiver or somebody else in their home have to deal with this. When you look at it through that lens, at least for me, when I looked at it through that lens, I had some compassion 
for that person? Like what was their experience that has led this behavior? And in that, um, I want to extend forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's beautiful, I will say this is I had come across my ex-college boyfriend probably in 2008. So I don't know how many years ago that over a decade later, I ran into him on the street and he, uh, wholeheartedly, uh, you know, it's beautiful. Look, it makes me tear. These are not sad tears. These are happy tears. Wholeheartedly, um, took responsibility for, uh, his behaviors, his actions and asked for forgiveness And that's beautiful because at the end of the day, don't we all want everybody to be walking in wholeness and in freedom? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So forgiveness is a beautiful piece and um, I recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. I absolutely love that perspective. I have a similar perspective in terms of forgiveness. Forgiveness is everything to me. Being grateful is everything. Just expressing those little things I feel like do a lot for your self-image. And I know for me, forgiveness can be like in stages or I have to go through certain scenarios or certain get to forgiveness. Um, What are some things that like let's say like there's something that I'm going through um, that would be like forgive, like I need to get to forgiveness. What were so, would be some like steps that I would need to take in order to get to that point? Because I feel like it's, it can be difficult for people to get to forgiveness right off the bat. It's just, it's challenging. Like you mentioned, it's sure. that sense of um, wanting revenge or wanting um, justice. It can be very difficult for a lot of people just to forgive Yeah. You know, I think everybody's journey to forgiveness is going to be different. But again, the very, very, very key thing for me is even to even today with girlfriends or with my husband and and non nonviolent things, just everyday life, you know, um, is, is again, to be honest about how we're feeling. I think oftentimes we're just supposed to be, oh, well, she's positive and happy and, you know, they work in the center for leadership. They're, you know, leadership and, you know, everything's rosy all the time. Well, that's not true. So, so honesty and self-honesty and transparency about really how am I feeling? How has this impacted me? What were my choices uh, that contributed maybe? Um, and, and what, what didn't I see, or what are my beliefs around fill in the blank, the thing that is, it is that you need to forgive. I think also for me, a good, a good question to ask is, I, I always say this, what do I value? This is a whole thing that I teach on is values. You know, Roy Disney said it well when he said, when your values are clear, your decisions are easy, right? So if you value, for instance, peace of mind, if you value relationship or unity, if you value those things, those uh, values and principles will likely drive you to continue to do your own inner game work 
around that honesty and how you feel and healing and all those things. Because what I know to be true is we can't have relationship and unity and harmony if we don't have forgiveness. They, they just don't go together. But if those are some things that you value, it will keep having you be a student of how do I feel about this? What happened? What's my role? You know, do I need to extend some? Um, do I need to ask for forgiveness? Some of those things. Is that helpful? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very important on the other side of, let me just say this, on the other side of honesty is stuffing and, and, and pretending that, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm so angry, I'm just going to pretend it never happened. Right? So that's why we always have to choose honesty first. And then that might take months. That might take years. Whoever knows how long it takes. It depends. I was a, I was a, whew, I was a slow learner. I had a lot to do. So it took me a long time and that's okay. But um, honesty is the, is the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. I think the greatest thing is the growth that you have been through with everything. Um, how has your experience led you to be who you are today? Wow. So good. Um, well, so I will say it has always been tricky to be me. Like I was never comfortable in my own skin. I was never confident in my own skin. And part of that is probably how I allowed myself. I had a role. Um, domestic violence is never okay. I'm not saying that it is, but I understand that I had a very fragile and very vulnerable person that I brought to the world before because of all of my life experiences that I hadn't done my healing work around. And so these experiences, um, and if I may tell me if we, if we have time, I'd love to share the five steps that have helped me to be um, able to, through resiliency, to be more empowered and confident today. Would love to share those. But what I will say is, um, all that work that I had to do or that I got to do, that I chose to do, helped me to become more comfortable in my own skin. So that no matter if a man wants to devalue me and say, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not black enough, because I'm black and white and all kinds of Asian. <laughs> so, you know, some folks, you know, would say, oh, well, you're just not black enough and you got the good hair, you know, just really hurtful things that cut to the core of who you are. Mm -hmm. um, those don't, those don't impact me the same way because of the experiences I had, it forced me into understanding who I was, um, to doing that hard work, to um, reframing, to learning new skills that I wouldn't have probably learned. But what it has done is it has produced so much inner peace after living 30 plus years of anguish has produced so much inner peace that, that still comes with setbacks today, even though it's hard, that it shaped my whole career. So when I was at Central, I knew that I wanted to be an image consultant and be a personal shopper, a personal stylist, and help people really not just be a slave to fashion, but really it was about helping people to dress their truth. So wardrobe and appearance was a vehicle for helping them to celebrate who they were, body shape, personality, coloring, all of those things. And today what that does is my business has been expanded such that I'm a life coach now because I do a lot of identity work 
the work we're talking about here today um, and helping people uh, really get clear on who they are and what they want in the world and, and help them develop a plan uh, for how to, to get there. And I'm a public speaker now when I used to hide behind anything I could hide behind because I never wanted to speak out loud. I always wanted to be invisible, but I feel that my life experiences and the hope and the skills and the tools that come from them are helpful for many people today. Just mm -hmm. think about this. We together are bringing together a message of domestic violence and resources. Not everybody's willing to do that, right? So the, the, all the hardship has not been in vain and it helps me to support folks in my business. And it certainly helps me every day because I have not arrived. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm pulling out the tools out of my own toolbox every day. <laughs> yeah. Kim, you touched on resilience and your five steps. We would love for you to share that, those with us. Sure, sure, sure. So when I think about building resilience in this area for me coming out of domestic violence, these are the things because I never thought I'd smile again, never thought I'd laugh. I mean, I was just a shriveled up version of what you see today. I, in fact, I'm not even that same person. But in, um, in order, number one, like we talked about, is to be honest. Um, if I could not be honest with the abuse and or even physical violence or even that I wasn't worthy of being loved, that's my thought. But if I didn't get to, which is not true, but if I didn't get to the truth of that, then I wouldn't be able to move forward. Number two, after realizing that something is wrong, is I needed to find support. And you just need one person to believe you. A lot of people aren't going to believe you. Um, there's too much at stake, or they're not going to want to, or they're not going to take time. Find one person who believes in you whether that is an advocate, whether that is your school counselor, whether that is your best friend, but someone, you just need one person to help journey with you. And then from there, you can branch out into other layers of support, therapy, um, counseling, coaching, whatever that might look like for you. And um, my third step was to prioritize my healing. As this is really hard in college. <laughs> Like, who wants to do that? I want to just have fun. But also after my divorce, what I realized is, what my therapist helped me to realize is I kept going down sort of the same path. And she said, now is your time, if you want to, to, to make a change in the course of your life. You're at a fork in the road. And she said, if you don't, you're, gonna, you're, you're successful to a certain degree. But if you don't, you're going to continue to go down the same road. I'd never had anyone be so confidently bold in my face before. But I thought if she was going to be that courageous to tell me that, then I was going to reach deep for courage and get after it. So I prioritized my healing, and um, that was a lot of years. But um, that led into number four, that in, in that healing, this was my opportunity to be a student of myself. So who I was, folks, I didn't even know what my favorite color was. Well, I knew what that was, but I didn't even know what my favorite <laughs> eggs were. <laughs> I didn't know my favorite eggs, my favorite kind of music. Um, you know, the things that people generally know or who's your best friend? Oh, no, I never would have a best friend because that best friend could let me down, right? 
-hmm. Just, this was my whole upbringing. So this was my time to figure out, well, who is Kim? What do I love? What do I value? What are the beliefs that have led me to today? Um, what do I want to do? What brings me joy? What doesn't? So being a student of myself was huge and I'm still an absolute student of myself today. And I watch other people, right? I want to say this, Oprah said this, it, and it's profound. She said, uh, people will show you who they are. You just have to be watching and yeah. waiting, but people show you who they are. And when they do, don't try and change them. Um, but number five was then to set goals. I remember I would sit and stare at the four walls of my house um, and, and just, I had no future. I didn't feel like I had a sense of hope and I felt like my whole world had shut down. But one of the things that I started to, to do, probably based on my therapist, was to set goals, meaning have something to look forward to in your future, something that's pulling you forward instead of keeping your mind stuck in the place that it is. For me back then, it was so simple but hard. But my goal was just to make sure that I had one positive thing per week to look forward to. That's how desperate I was in my situation. So that might've been a phone call. It might've been a walk, but mm, even a walk was a big deal back then. Mm -hmm. But just to have one positive thing to look forward to, to so setting goals. Those are, um, those are my five, my five things, and I say them kind of fluently, but um, that wasn't necessarily, that wasn't easy, but it was good. And the road was arduous and it was long. It cost me a lot of time, cost me some money, cost me my insecurities and everything, but it was worth it. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. worth it for sure. Those steps are awesome. Yeah, oh, definitely. That's great for anybody to take in, digest, and hopefully apply it to their own situations, their own life. As we wrap up today, is there anything else you would like to add or share with us? You know, I, thanks for asking. There are, there are just three quick things I would say, or at least two that come to mind, that I think are really important for you or anyone you know who might be uh, experiencing um, domestic or sexual violence. And that's this. Number one, um, you can't change this. And you can't wish it away. And you can't hope it away. And even though your um, partner or, or the perpetrator might say, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. That, that's not that's not how it goes. There's a power um, and control wheel that I emailed to all of you that hopefully you can share as a resource to help you better understand that there's nothing that you can do or that you can't do to change that person's behavior. Um, number one. Number two, uh, please don't be in a position of shame or guilt. It's easy to do, but uh, this is so much more than, than you or, or, or something that you need to feel guilty about or personal shame. Again, find that one person. And then the, the last thing I would say about it is this. If you do have kids who are experiencing this with you or around you, um, what we know to be true is that this gets 
passed down, this behavior gets modeled and there's an exponential rate, and I can't remember what that statistic is, but that says that children who actually see uh, abuse or who are, who are um, victims of abuse themselves have a high likelihood of repeating the pattern in their intimate relationships coming up as well. So um, please get support for, for your children as well. And I know that you all probably have uh, resources. I am sharing resources for you all to share online as well. Um, but I do want to make sure to say out of my mouth that the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Again, that's 1-800-799-7233 or SAFE. So, and there's hope. Guys, that's what I want to say. The, and, and, and hope is, I have an acronym for hope, and here's what it is, H-O-P-E. That even though the, these experiences are painful or difficult, that hope is about your healing, that leads to the O, your overcoming, that leads to your possibilities and your purpose that then leads to the expectancy that your best is yet to come. So insist on hope, your best is yet to come. Thank you very much, Kim. Yeah, you bet, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that awesome perspective that you have in there. Thank you for sharing everything with us, your experience, and I feel like a lot of people are gonna take a lot away from this message. So um, on that note, relationship violence is a complex topic to talk about. If you or someone you know has experienced relationship violence, know you are not alone. There are CWU affiliated and national resources that can provide support as well as help you navigate what you're experiencing. Utilize the Violence Prevention and Response Coordinator in the Wellness Center as a confidential resource or call 800-656-HOPE. 4673. That's 800-656-4673 to be connected with a trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Aureli. And thank you, Wildcats. Join us next week for more Leadership Life Lessons with CWU alumni.